Rosie and Bill Show wish to thank our primary sponsors, The Mallon Agency, located in Springfield, PA, where they take pride in exceeding expectations every time. Anthony DiCecco and our friends at Tennis Addiction are ready to serve all your tennis needs at their beautiful facility in Exton, PA. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show. Our guest this week has a powerful voice and an even more powerful comeback story. His musical career boasts of three gold albums, four Grammys, and 10 Dove Awards. Please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show a man who's truly living an inspirational life, John Schlitt. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hi, you guys. I'm I'm honored to be here. Uh, you know, first time with you all and super excited about it. Uh, uh, when my uh, assistant told me we were going to do this, I was like, great, this is going to be a good show. I'm just, I'm like, uh, ask away what you want. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. <laughs> well, John, I will tell you, we've been looking forward to this for quite some time. And we want to talk about everything from Mount Pulaski, Illinois, all the way up until now including that name of your first band. We'll come back to it, and I'm hoping I can remember it because it's pretty long and pretty unique. But before we do that, uh, I want to talk about something that happened a little more recently. And you appeared on the Huckabee Show. Uh And while you were there and the governor was talking with you before you performed, uh, he said something that is is so powerful to me when, when he said it. And it looked like it was incredibly powerful to you too. And based on how the look was on your face at the time, I've been waiting to ask you, John, when he talked about two voices that over the years have held up and are better now than they ever were, he mentioned two people, you and Paul Rogers. What was it like? And what what were you thinking and feeling when he said that? Because the look on your face was you, you were pretty much speechless. Well, he couldn't have picked uh, a more, oh, how to put it, uh, impressive name to me. Paul Rogers is probably one of the few lead singers today that I can listen to just by itself. He can carry a band by himself, no background vocals. Now that he's had bands with with back, but his his delivery is so amazing to me that when when the governor said that to me, it it, it actually freaked me out a little uh, because I, I've been compared to a lot of different voices, but when he said Paul Rogers, he sort of, I didn't realize it, but he had a tender spot for me. And I, I, I was speechless. I, I didn't know what to say because I don't think, I think that's probably one of the best compliments I've ever had. Well, John, I can tell you it was, it was visible uh, by the look on your face. And I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, I'm a huge fan of Paul Rogers, a huge fan of yours. Now, Paul, his journey started across the pond uh-huh. over in England. Yeah. And yours started in a little town called Mount Pulaski, Illinois. Yeah. And you, you were 13 years old. Yes. And you were in a band with a very unique, creative, and somewhat lengthy name, uh, Vinegar Hills Hometown Band Something Different. Boy. Did I get it right? Done, you, Bill, you've done your homework, buddy. I'm, <laughs> I'm very impressed that you... The fact that I can't remember that half the time is really cool. And that's without a teleprompter, by the way. Yes, it is. <laughs> my, my question is, what, what was it like being in a band at 13 years old? And where did the name come from? Well, 
Mount Pulaski actually was a little town, or is a little town in Illinois. And at the time of the, um, uh, you know, the, where you couldn't have any liquor. Well, all the, all the uh, hoods from Chicago decided to take a train down to, for some reason, Mount Pulaski. And as the name will tell you, it's built on a little hill. Uh, and in the top is the town. And every, every store or whatever building on that square was a tavern. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how it was, how they got away with it. But for some reason in Logan County, Mount Pulaski had a bar on every building in that square. And it was called Vinegar Hill. And I didn't know that until I named the band something different. And my mom said, well, you know, Mount Pulaski was known for vine as Vinegar Hill. And I said, really? That's sort of cool. So instead of changing the band totally, the name totally, I just said, Vinegar Hill's hometown band, something different. And that's, and that's, and like you said, trying to put that on posters wasn't easy. But, you know, I was 13. I didn't know any better. And uh, I thought it was pretty cool that my town had that kind of history. So I wanted to make sure I lived up to it. Oh, that's really great. Did you have your fans and groupies actually remember the name or did it get shortened? I, boy, good question. Uh, I think a lot of them remember the whole thing. And of course, then it became something different, but uh, or sometimes I think it came Vinegar Hills, but uh, right. it was, it was a little complicated, but Hey, I was from, I was in high school a little, you know, I, I was, I was just still in grade school, actually, come to think of it. And uh, it didn't matter. I, I played guitar and I was cool. So it didn't matter what the didn't matter what the name of the band was, as long as I was doing my thing. So when did you learn how to play the guitar, John? Well, actually, um, a friend of mine picked up guitar and he was and I, I walked in and, he said, and he, I saw this guitar in his in his uh, in his room. I said, what's that? What are you doing? He said, I'm playing guitar. Well, I'm going to learn how to play too. So I went out and got a got a cheap guitar, and we we took lessons from the same teacher. And then that teacher said, "You guys are getting too good for me, so I'm going to send you to my teacher." We went there, and we learned enough enough chords to start our own band, which back then was about three, maybe four chords, and we were able to play about oh 60, 70 percent of all the songs that were happening at the time. And it just sort of progressed that way. And uh, then as time went on, uh, we got a bass player, a, a keyboard player, a drummer, and became a band. And I think the first show we ever did was for my for my mom's women's club. I think we got a total of $50, and that made us professionals. With The first <laughs> pay, paying gig we ever got was for the Mount Pulaski Women's Club. So uh, that was a major breakthrough for me. And it just... It just kept going, you know, it kept going. We just, and I love music. I, I, we'd go out and buy all these, uh, um, oh, charts, you know, uh, uh, that you'd play piano with, uh, and I'd use that, use that for the chords and stuff. And finally I got bored with that. And I started listening to singles back then that was 45s. And I start learning how to, you know, I get the chords off the music. And that was like a major breakthrough for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to buy those, uh, buy those sheet music anymore. I could just buy the singles. And that was, uh, that was cool. 
and just it, it progressed that way, you know, and uh, got to a point where just before I graduated from high school, we had a pretty major band that was playing in all the, the local bars in that county. And my mom would have to go with us to uh, uh, be a chaperone because we were too young to be in bars. But we were you like really band. popular in your high school because of it? Like, were you fronting the band then as a, sing as a singer? Yeah, I was the lead singer. Yeah, uh, I don't know. If I, was <laughs> I was popular for a lot of reasons. I was a basketball player, and I was a wow. come on, I was just Mister Popular. What could, I don't know. <laughs> I I hope that's one of the reasons. I, I I got along with everybody at the school, and I think I had a uh, hopefully I had a personality where you could get along. And but it was cool that I was a guitar player. I finally had to quit basketball because the coach said I had to cut my hair, and. Uh, I couldn't have short hair playing guitar. Come on. So he asked me, you got to make a decision, John, which is more important, basketball or, or your guitar? And so I had to make a decision and uh, pretty much guitar won out. So um, I had to give up my sporting uh, events and, and went pretty much all music. And uh, it was, I don't regret it. It was, it was a good thing to do. Uh, it was, it was quite a, a lifestyle for, for a high school kid to go out and be able to play all these different shows and stuff. Yeah, that's but pretty I exciting. I did decide that I was quitting music when I went to college. And that lasted for about a semester until I discovered fraternity bands and, uh, and found an amazing band and went in to play acoustic guitar, which is what I was doing in my band, playing acoustic guitar. And I had to sing because nobody else would. And, uh, so I went to this one fraternity and uh, and played acoustic guitar and, and sang and they looked at me and says, tell you what, put the guitar down, you be the lead singer, our lead singer will play acoustic guitar because he's a lot better guitar player than you are, but you're a better <laughs> singer than he is. I said, okay. And that's when all of a sudden I became a lead singer. And right. that's, uh, that's how that career started. And, and yet so, you still finished college, right? With a degree in civil engineering. Uh-huh. I sure did. I I wanted to, I, I joined the band that later became Head East my sophomore year. Actually, the the um, summer between my freshman and sophomore year, and we exploded. I mean, the band was exactly what, uh, it had everything it needed to make it. And um we instantly went from a little sock hop band to a, to a pretty major uh, um, college bar band, which was like, believe it or not, that was sort of the next stage in, in band progression. And just really, we could do anything. We were a great copy band. We could do any songs. Uh, and so um, for a while, I actually almost flunked out of school twice. Uh, my my first semester, my second semester of, of my sophomore year, and actually went to my parents and said, listen, I'm going to quit school for a while. I'm going to make this my permanent job. And my dad goes, no, you're not. Nope, no, you're not. You're going to finish school. You're going to get a degree. And then you can do anything you want. Then you can be play music, You do, but you will get a degree. And my parents had always been amazing to me and, and had always treated and just been great. So if that's all they wanted, I had to tell the band, I said, I've got to quit. And uh, they said, well, we're going to be big by the time, you know, by the time you get your degree. I said, yeah, you probably will. But they didn't. And when I got my, uh, took my last final exam, my senior year, I 
joined the band again and took about six months to get it back where it was when I left it. And with the change of a guitar player who ended up writing um, a couple of the, well, the biggest songs we ever had. And so it was, and it worked, you know, for, so when I graduated from college, I uh, progressed into, uh, uh, we did our own album. It got signed with A&M Records. Uh, we ended up touring uh, with some of the biggest major acts all over the country for five years. And it was, uh, it was uh, a major, it was a, it was a musician's dream to tell you the truth. It was, it was fantastic. And uh, problem is it though, uh, I uh, uh, went in with the attitude I'd never get hooked up with any of the garbage that went along with the, with the secular rock, with the uh, mainstream rock, but I'm afraid that I was fair game and uh, fell right along with the, the party folks and uh, um, just about destroyed my life. And but John, what is the pitfall, the pitfall in that? What lured you to that? Uh, peer pressure, boredom. You actually, you can have your, you can, you can be doing your lifelong dream, but when you do it every day, every night, sometimes seven seven nights a week and each night you want to have the, the it's got to be more exciting than last it becomes boring and i had a family at this time i praise god i still got them but at that time i had uh, a wife and and one child then two and i was never home i was touring all the time never home looking for that next exciting adventure because it was getting more boring so the first thing came on was booze. Uh, ended up drinking. Oh, uh, beer was water backstage there. Uh, water wasn't cool yet. Didn't cost more than gasoline. So you drank beer. And I drank a lot of it. Uh, and then all of a sudden, we were celebrating a, a milestone in, in the first record. And cocaine came along. And I fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. Didn't realize. Uh, I was I was fair game for that. I just... Uh, once I started, I couldn't stop. And so that combination of that uh, for the next two, three, two and a half years just was, it sort of took me over. And to a point where the band fired me, fired me, the lead singer. Not that they were, not that they were Puritans, but uh, apparently it really messed me up. And uh, um, uh, just, uh, I got fired. Uh, and it just, uh, and by this time, I had been giving, the band was everything. It was, uh, um, everything came second, my health, my family, just everything. And uh, so when the band left, I had nothing. And I thought, well, I could always give up Coke and booze. Um, and then I couldn't. And uh, so for six months after the band, after I, I put together another band with the excuse that I was creating this new band, and really the only the reason was I, I I could stay drunk or coked up 24 hours a day for, I mean, for six months. And uh, within that six months, uh, it just, I, I was really going down the hill. And, uh, you know, as a Christian, I can, as a Christian, I can say, that's when the enemy figured he'd had me. But what he didn't know was, my wife got saved, became a Christian that same six month period where I'm just steamrolling down the hill. She tried to tell me about Jesus. And I'm saying, no, no, 
get out of my face. I, I don't need this Jesus stuff. I'm too cool for him. I'll, I'll, be, too, I'll be a Christian when I'm too old to have any fun. Mm -hmm. uh, because like a lot of my friends, being a Christian was like, uh, was boring. It, you couldn't do anything. You couldn't have fun, like have hangovers and nosebleeds and all that kind of stuff. Well, John, how did she, how did she finally get through to you? Because it, you, it's almost like, you know, the analogy, like a coming to a fork in the road and, and, and you were pretty much at the ultimate fork in the road. So well, how did she finally get through and result in that change that completely turned your life around? It took a final night, the night after the, actually the night of our anniversary on the 30th, uh, it was, uh, uh, August, August 28th on 1980, we were going to have a party the, the our friends were going to throw a party for us for our anniversary that, uh, and, uh, I woke up the next morning realizing that I'd gotten so drunk, but I passed out, couldn't find any Coke. So I passed out and missed the party. And my wife left me on the couch to sleep, which was the first time she ever did, done that. I think she was pretty ticked off that I missed the anniversary party. And my one-year-old son was, I woke up, opened my eyes, my one-year-old son was looking at me like, you know, right there. And little sweet had a look on his face like, why are you here, dad? Why are you on the couch? And my five-year-old daughter was playing in the, it was, this was in the living room. She was playing in the living room because I was there. Oh, well, dad's in the living room. Let's, let's, let's hang out there. And as I'm looking at my son, a voice in the back of my head goes, you know, you're worth more dead than alive. And it made total sense to me. I'd been to a point where I was so tired of being, feeling so much like garbage that the idea of ending my life actually seemed a little peaceful. And so I am get up, I sit in my chair, I'm looking at my kids and I said, I'm not going to use a gun. I'm going to find the best combination of pills that can be the quickest and the most painless. And I'm, I'm sitting here trying to figure out, I'm, I'm naming the pill, I'm trying to think which combination. And my wife taps me on the shoulder and says, remember, you said you would come and talk to my pastor tonight. I said, when did I do that? She says, last night when you were drunk. I said, oh, okay. All right. That's fine. So my intention was to go carry through what I was going to do, but I wanted her to remember that I would go to the pastor and I wanted her to remember I tried. So I went to that pastor's house with an attitude. No way was gonna, anything going to change. I knew what I was going to do. But I walked out with the Holy Spirit and my life was changed. And that's how it worked. That's how it, God allowed the enemy to drop me down so far because he knew how pigheaded I was. He knew, he knew, he designed me. He knew what I was. And he let me get so low that there was no other way. I mean, it was either six feet under or a new life. And praise God, he put it together where I got a new life and uh, I've never been the same since. That's amazing, John. I, I do have to go back though. I'm, I'm, I can't help but be curious mm -hmm. when you were looking at your children, when you were listening to your wife, when you were still planning your own demise, mm -hmm. what was the consideration? I know how you said you felt, what was the consideration for them? 
I thought me being gone was better for them. My wife is really a cutie. She would marry somebody that was a lot better than me. But she loved you. But in my state at the mind, I mean, think about it. I was nothing but a drugged out alcoholic. She deserved better. And my kids were young enough, I figured whoever came that would be better in the long run, it would be better for them. Mm -hmm. And that, that was my state of mind. That's, that's how much regard I had for myself at the time. Right. Now, looking back on that, what how do you feel about that perspective now now that you're far removed from it i'm i am disgusted uh it was the enemy basically giving me a so see to me that that's just the enemy lying to a man who had so much more to offer right that he realized and that's how it works and the fact that that god cared enough for me to to bring my wife to condition my wife to where she was ready after trying many times in that six month to say the right thing at the right time. And God was ready to go to this pastor's house who was there at the right time. It was just, it was like, oh, it, it was definitely divine crazy. intervention. What did the pastor say to you? Do you remember? Was there a specific oh, yeah. moment? Oh yeah. Um, I, I walked in and, uh, like I said, with an attitude, says, uh, hi, how you? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Yeah, I says, John, do you know, you know, Jesus? Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I go, to, oh, no, I said, I'm an American. I go to church twice a year. Yeah, I know Jesus. Oh, man, that's the wrong thing. Said, you don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus that loves you. You know that Jesus has a plan for you. You know that Jesus knows exactly what you're trying to do right now. You know that Jesus, I'm going, and all this, I'm just like, whoa, whoa. And I said, and then do you want to know Jesus? All I could do was shake my head. Mm -hmm. It was like, bam, 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 bam. And I mean, my cocky attitude just went right out the window. And I realized I'm in a different location. This is, this is new to me. And praise God, I had enough sense to go, yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Thank it, you. We're happy for that you said that too. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, it, again, um, for many years, I said the next thing I knew, I was sitting in a corner of the of the room going, what hit me? My wife told me, no, you didn't do that. You were on a couch. So I want to tell everyone over the many years that I've said this testimony, apparently I was wrong. I stayed on the couch. I felt I couldn't say anything. I just was like, whoa, whoa. I did finally say the sinner's prayer because for a while, I, I just, I'm like going, uh, uh, finally passes. Do you want to know? Yes. Yes, I do. And I repeated the sinner's prayer. I walked out a new person. And I'll tell you what, when I became a Christian, when I became, when I gave my life to the Lord, a weight lifted off of me that I didn't even know was there. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got to understand that, that guilt guilt peer pressure all that is weight that the enemy will put on you and you don't even it's like a toad that sits in the water and they slowly turn the water up until it's boiling and doesn't even know i didn't know and when that weight lifted off me i couldn't believe the difference in my outlook 
in life. I mean, nothing changed. I was still in deep debt. Uh, I, all the drug and, and, and uh, all that stuff that happened had still put me in the, in the state I'm in, but it was like, I was never, I wasn't alone anymore. Right. It was me and Jesus, me and Jesus, we're going to take care of it. It'll be fine, John. We're going to take care of it. And I walked out of that house and I, my daughter, I was holding my daughter's hand. And I think one of the first things that God ever said to me was, okay, you know, those riches, all that, that wealth you were going to get when you were in, in head East uh, and all the sacrifices you were willing to do because you knew there'd come a time when, when it was going to all be made up because you're going to be super successful. Well, those riches are right here and I've been taking care of them. Now it's your turn to do your job. And it, it sort of freaked me out a little because I was looking at that little cutie pie and, and it was like, wow, yeah, that, that makes so much sense. And as time went on, when I got to be part of Petra, I started looking at all these other kids that, that were listening to what we had to say. And, and that, uh, and for me at that age, <laughs> pretty much everybody's kid, but just the fact that not only my flesh and blood, but the, the generation of, of God's creation needed to hear this message too. And so uh, it sort of equated into a bigger picture. Mm. Would, would you say that's the number one delineation between Christian rock and mainstream rock? Oh, oh gosh, yes. Now, Christian rock, I'll tell you what, I went in with the attitude, uh, I mean, with, with secular rock, I went with the attitude, I wanted to make sure the people had a great time. I really did. I, I've always loved my crowds, whether it was secular or, or Christian because I appreciated them. I, they, because of them, I was standing on that stage. But with, with secular rock, um, you're expected to do a certain thing. I mean, I, I, had, I knew every four-letter word there was. I was spouting it out. I was being cool. And the crowd was having a great time. But was there depth to it? No. I mean, it was just party hearty. Let's uh, you know, get drunker than me. I don't think you can, but try. And what a shallow a shallow outlook in life and i will tell you that uh i was more i was more concerned about myself than the crowd you know it's uh, secular rock is pretty pretty much more about you me 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 mm. christian rock if it's a truly a christian rock band concert the whole point is to bring across the truth of Jesus Christ, which in turn is a life-changing adventure for whoever's hearing it. It's an awesome responsibility, but boy, it, it's so gratifying. It's, it's such a beautiful way to live as, as a musician. Well, John, you, you just said life-changing adventure. And I think when, when you joined Petra, and, and it's not like they were some small-time band at the time oh. that, that you joined them. They were mm -hmm. the biggest Christian rock group in the world. Yeah. But you you took that after you joined the band, things went to a whole new level in terms of gold albums and sales and crowds and everything. Like, what do you think made that difference? I mean, you and then I know 
uh, John and Dino Alafonte came mm -hmm. along and did some producing, the sound yes. changed, like what all came together to sort of catapult Petra into that next level? I guess, I guess I'm, this is gonna be a sort of a cop out. It was God's plan. Um, think about it. I was with Head East for, for seven years. I was playing in front of thousands of people every night. I became a pro. I became a professional, experienced front man for a real good rock band. That was necessary. But then when I, be, when I left music altogether for five years, I became a Christian who wanted to know the word. I wanted to know what being a Christian was all about. Baby Christian walk was boring to me. I, I wanted to get in the word. I wanted to find out what God really was talking about in the Bible. And that was also very important because when the time came and Bob Hartman called me and said, would you be the lead singer for Petra? And that's a long story in itself too. But after, after I realized that it was, he was real, it was for, for real, and he asked me to pray about it, I, I had time to, to really think about it. And I looked to see who wrote the songs. It wasn't the singer. He, he was an excellent singer, still is, an okay front man. But Petra needed a, a very experienced front man and a heavy-duty Christian that wouldn't <laughs> stumble all over his tongue every time he tried to say something uh, uh, spiritual. And I look back at that and I say, God, God, you were preparing me for 12 years before Petra ever called me. And so I look at that saying, that was God's plan. And also, John, you mentioned John Dino. That was God's plan. Because after Beat the System came out, Bob was very unhappy with the direction of where the band was going. Because Bob is a guitar player. He really wants to be a rock. He liked rock and roll which of course I do too. It's a very exciting music form. Uh, and to use that kind of exciting music form to sing about a very exciting subject, better known as Jesus Christ, it totally made sense to me. So he said, when I, before I, I told him, I really like Beat the Sea. He says, don't, we're never doing another record like that. We're going to go back to rock. We're going we're gonna to be a rock band. I said, well, I can do rock. Yeah, that sounds good to me. And so when I found out John and Dino, who I didn't know at the time, when I started working with them in the studio, I realized, wow, oh yeah, this is going to be a rock band. Uh, they know what they're doing. Praise God, I knew what I was doing as soon as I got back into shape. Poor John, my he was my producer, and he knew that I'd been out of the music. I'd been out of singing for five years, you know? And so that first album, Back to the Street, it was a struggle. I... I had to not relearn, but but get back into the system and get my voice back into shape to where it had to be the quality that Petra deserved. And praise God, we had the time to do that record, and and to uh, I struggled through it, but we it was what I wanted to hear when it was done. So I don't regret anything about it. But really, the album that uh, really sort of opened up things where I was ready again was uh, This Means War, 
uh, Back the Street has some fantastic songs on it. It had the first number one single that I was part of. It had a, a song called uh, uh, Fool's Gold, which I love. Back the Street, the title cut was cool. But This Means War came along. And by that time, I'm, I'm back on my groove. Uh, I've sort of reclaimed the Sith. I was there again. I was ready. And it, it was amazing. It, and so we became that rock band that, that I knew that I was familiar with. And I, I was able to help bring Petra into a, a real rock band, uh, both especially live. We didn't, I didn't have to worry about the recording and the music because we had John and Dino and we had the skill. But live, I was a front man. It was my job to make sure that they they were a bona fide rock band. And if something was sort of not quite kosher, I could say, hey, when I did this with so-and-so, we did this, and they listened. Mm -hmm. And so Petra became a band that could compete with the bands I was competing with back in Head East days. And that was all. We never competed with, with Christian bands. We didn't want to. They were part of our team. My what I want to compete against were the journeys, the, the foreigners, the sticks, the, all the guys that I toured with, actually my friends that I toured with in, in my secular days, because I wanted Christians to have a band that they were proud of, that they could say, go to their friends who were all listening to those other bands. And they say, well, I'm a Petra fan, listen to this. And they go, whoa, yeah, they're, they're pretty good. And what are they singing about? And that, that, was the perfect combination of being able to deserve their listening ear and for them to hear what we believed like they were listening to what their bands believed. Right. And also what was coming through the inspiration that God wanted them to get from what you were doing. Amen. Which is really important. And, you know, you spoke of, of being proud. We're, we're kind of almost out of time, but very quickly, what are you most proud of in your most recent solo album, Go? <laughs> uh, I'm excited about the fact that I used three different um, production teams. I'm excited about the fact that I really didn't know what I was going to be, how it would finally gel, especially using different teams. And when, when the teams came together and all the songs came together, I had to write one more song and that ended up being the title cut because it formed itself. It was, it basically, all the songs that came together actually formed itself and the title cut said it all. And I'm very proud of that. I, it's important for us to realize that being a Christian, when you go to church, that's not a haven. It's a boot camp. And although it is, it is a place to be encouraged and healed, but it, for that, the reason you are being encouraged and healed is to get stronger and go out and do the one thing Christ asked us to do. Tell the world about him. Mm -hmm. Last thing he asked, tell the world about me. And to me, the church is a boot camp to get everyone ready to open those doors and go. And I think that title, that, that album said it all for me. Love that. Well said. Well, John, you know, I, I guess the bottom line is it, it doesn't get any better than that. And I think you also just kind of that's that to me is the definition of success. So we thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing your story and for all of the joy 
and things that you've brought to your fans. We also want to thank you for that as well. We wish you all the best on your solo career and all your bands. And we hope to uh, catch up with you again sometime down the road. Thank you, Bill. Hey, listen, anytime. It's, it's a pleasure to talk to y'all. I really appreciate your interest. And it's great to be able to, you know, basically share what God's done. Uh, it's our testimony is always so powerful. Doesn't matter who it is. Every testimony is important. I agree. And, and it, it's, as we said in the beginning, it's inspirational. And I hope that this gets out there to as many people as possible. And if you can change one person's life from this and have them hear the message that God is trying to get to them, then we've done all we could do. So Listen, God's got a perfect plan for every one of us. We just have to choose to find out what it is. Right. Scott. Well, thank you so much, John. And folks, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. episode has been brought to you by Doherty and Company Insurance Services for all your business and personal insurance needs. Our friends at Tennis Addiction in Exton, PA and the Mallon Agency where exceeding expectations is how they do business. Interested in becoming a partner in positivity? Send us an email. Rosie and Bill Show 2018 at gmail.com. <laughs>